I'm Kate Northrup. And I'm Mike Watts. And we're partners in life, love, and business. Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show, where we share insights and interviews on entrepreneurship, relationships, parenting, self-actualization, and making a life, not just a living. Welcome, everybody, to the Kate and Mike Show. It's Mike. And it's Kate. So we have a really great interview in store for you today. We are interviewing our friend Leanne Jacobs, who is the author of Beautiful Money. It is the four-week total wealth makeover, a holistic approach to increasing your net worth. Yes. And I love Leanne. Mike and I have, well, I've known her for a little longer. I've known her for many years through the network marketing company that Mike and I work with, USANA Health Sciences. Leanne has grown one of the largest teams in the company. And what's so unique about her team is how many leaders she has within her team. So she is really brilliant at uplifting and empowering others to step into their greatness. And I've seen her do it again and again and again. And she is one of the most wise, humble women I know. Yeah, we had a great conversation today where we talked about her and just how she... Well, the question I asked at the end was like, what do you teach your children about money? Because she has four kids, which was a great... I thought it was a fantastic answer, which was really cool for us to have new kids. But even her journey to create... She's super chill. Like that... I don't know how else to say it, but she's super calm and wise with how she runs and operates her life now. And she shared a story about how she was a little bit in a tight bind for cash, her and her husband recently. And they did something pretty extreme with four children and it all worked out really, really well in how they went about handling that situation and what the emotions were for her to go through it. Yeah. I mean, that's such a great example of her overall message, which is that beautiful money is not about the accumulation of more money, right? And it's very much in alignment with the conversations we've been having in our community about doing less and making space for what matters most. And that's what Beautiful Money is about. The exercises in this book, the philosophies really support everything we've been talking about, about getting clear on what matters to you and then designing your life around that. And Leanne has a pretty amazing story about going from burnout to total freedom and some dramatic changes she made in her life that helped set her on this path to beautiful money. So I'm really excited for you to listen to the interview. And as always, we would love for you to leave us a review, check it out on iTunes and subscribe. And that's it, I think. Yeah, that's it. Enjoy the interview. Okay, welcome Leanne to the Kate and Mike show. I'm so pumped to be here. We're I'm excited. so happy to be here with you. I've got Mike here with me. Mike, you want to say hi? Hello. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so today, Leanne, we are talking about how awesome you are and the book, Beautiful Money, The Four-Week Total Wealth Makeover. And I had the pleasure of attending your book launch in New York City, which was a great reason to celebrate you and what you're up to, and also to have a little getaway by myself at a hotel in New York City, which for any moms know is like a really big deal to stay in a hotel alone. (laughs) So thank you for that, Leanne. And one of the things that struck me so clearly was the energy and caliber of people you attracted to that event. Like the women who were there speaking at the event, I was honored to be asked. But in addition to that, you know, Jen Groover and Farnoosh Tarabi and Patricia Moreno and Melanie. And it was like, it was just so incredible, the caliber of people. And I do really believe that the people we surround ourselves with are very much a reflection of who we are. And so if you were to just like take, (laughs) take a poll of that night and the women speaking and the women in that room, it's just a, such a reflection of the big heart that you have, Leanne, and also how you show up in the world because these women are like rocking it and they all said yes to come to your event. And so I just want to congratulate you. Well, thank you. And Thank you for being such a special part of it. I have to say it was like a big out of the comfort zone moment because, well, I don't live in the country. You know, I don't know a ton of people in New York and it seems to be a pattern I have. It's like, let's just, instead of doing your book launch in Toronto near where you live, let's just do it in New York City. So 
committing to that was really out of my comfort zone. And I was so, I felt such inner peace when the vibe was so great. Yeah. It was such a nourishing, nourishing evening. And you know, one thing in your book actually that struck me is that you said that you actually historically have not had that much confidence, Mm -hmm. but you overcome it because you have courage to Mm -hmm. do the things that scare you. And I was so amazed by that because to me in my head, until I read that, I always thought that you had to have confidence in order to have courage. So can you talk a little bit about the difference between confidence and courage and what that means to you? Well, I think it's funny because I don't think I'm afraid to fail. So that's where I feel that courage comes in. And I may not totally, I do believe that's a really great question because it's like, I think overall, I do believe in my ability because I am somebody who when I commit to something, I know I'm going to put my heart and soul into it and and do it with excellence. So my habits are really good. Mm. But the self-talk that goes behind that definitely is the, well, you're not good enough to do that. Like, you know, the self-worth definitely, I would say, has been on shaky ground at times. So, But my courage is sort of louder uh than the you're not good enough language. So it sounds like you're able to overcome the you're not good enough language through action. Yeah. And you sort of like prove yourself wrong. Yeah. That's it. That's really cool. Yeah. And you know, one, I would say one thing that really helped me to date through my path was I went to a workshop about 10 years ago that Byron Katie had on and she has such a simple formula for such deep work that she does. And her main question was, do you know with a hundred percent certainty that what you believe is true? Mm -hmm. And that's helped me a lot because when I feel a little scared or a little bit like you're not going to do well at that, what if no one shows up, you know, all that language, I almost use it as an experiment. Like, do you know a hundred percent that that is going to be true? And then I take it as an experiment. Well, let's test the theory. So kind of like if you're like, oh, well, nobody's going to show up at the book launch, then you're asking yourself, well, do you know 100% for that to be true? That's kind of how you use it. And then let's do it anyway. Right. And then of (laughs) course the answer is no, you don't know that for sure. So you're just kind of like, well, what the heck? Exactly. And I use that question with a lot of my beliefs and my patterning. And I have found it really helpful because sometimes we can get stuck in our own way and we forget to be open yeah, and be curious. Wow. That's really beautiful. And one of the things that, you know, we know each other, as we said in the intro, through our work with in network marketing with our wellness company, USANA, that's how we met originally. And it turns out we've had like a lot of overlaps other than that. <laughs> that, was, that was the first one. <laughs> And you've built an extraordinary business within USANA. I mean, you're one of the top leaders in the company with one of the largest, most self-sustaining teams. I mean, that's what's so incredible is how many leaders you have created within your team. And from a pure, you know, I know that many of those women will listen to this podcast as well as, you know, many USANA folks and other people in the direct selling industry. So I just kind of want to ask you like, even though this wasn't part of my plan now, it popped into my head. So I'm just curious, and then we'll get to stuff that's specifically about the book, but what are your key tips or biggest lessons learned as you were growing your direct selling business? So, yeah, I mean, there's so many things that I'd love to answer. I would say the four words that were my biggest lessons I did include in the end of the book, but to me, it's really about life. The leadership and and leverage. And yeah, I loved that part. Love, leadership, leverage, and legacy. And that's really the four biggest aha moments I had building a network marketing business. Because the love is really like you learn to love yourself so much or your business eventually plateaus. Mm -hmm. Same thing, right? If you're not leveraging yourself enough, your business eventually plateaus and you will attract who you are. And if you aren't letting go of something that's holding you back or causing tension in your body, it will physically manifest. Like for me, I tend to have instant karma. Like if I, (laughs) 
if I do anything that's a little out of alignment with my values, I will instantly get a kick in the butt. And it doesn't have to be something drastic. It can be just like a language I use, or I think I'm that sensitive to energy. Mm -hmm. So in my business, it became an amazing, I looked at it as really like such a, a fabulous training ground for like the laws of the universe. And sometimes I would get too attached to what was happening day to day. And that's where we can trip ourselves up. It's so easy to lower our vibe and think too small. Like it's easy to get caught there, but it's so easy to get stuck there. Yeah. And I find a lot of people, they might get caught there and they don't realize it and they're stuck there for years. So how do you get yourself out of that? Like if someone's listening and they're like, yeah, I'm totally caught in thinking too small. Mm -hmm. What is your advice? So for me, it's been, and it's funny because I've had so many mentors, but a lot of them I never met. You know, like two of my greatest mentors, I would say in my life would be Jim Rohn and Wayne Dyer. Mm -hmm. And I came inches from having dinner with Jim Rohn, but it was right before he passed away. And I had that dinner was organized and set up. So it was kind of this crazy experience where like I was moments away from having dinner with one of my greatest mentors, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't meant to be. And sometimes I feel like it doesn't necessarily have to be a mentor in physical form. You know, that I have just made my life's work about being a sponge and not living from a place of ego. Like I rarely say, oh, I know that. Like, I just feel I'm so tuned in to know that I am such a student and that we really like, how much do we really know? Right. So I've never been somebody who like leads from ego. And I think that that served me well because I suck in information and I can apply it very quickly. Yeah. I would say that is your superpower. I've experienced that about you that, you know, despite you being one of the most successful women I know, you've never come across as like, Oh, I know that. Or, Oh, you know, I have this figured out or, Oh, listen to me. I'm so, you know, I've got this all squared away. Like you have this beautiful fluidity of, you know, like if you were a cell, (laughs) <laughs> your your cell membrane would be very soft and permeable in order to like accept in new nutrients and new, you know, I don't know why that and, example just and, came to me, but. And my biggest lesson through that is like, I'm like that with others, but I've really had to learn to soften with myself and I'm still working on that. But that's been my biggest lesson through my business is that like to soften and to chill out and to not be so hard on yourself and to be more open and trust myself more. So all of that has been such a great lesson. But what I love about the direct selling industry is where else can you learn your greatest truth and live, like start living in your greatest truth and make that your income? Yeah. Like where else can you do that? Yeah. I mean, I guess other businesses to some degree, but I think there's something really unique about the direct selling industry for that. Yeah. I found that to be, you know, really powerful. So how did you get, like, where did all this start? You know, we can talk about all the beautiful, amazing things that are happening now, which is great, which we will. But like, where were you, let's say 20 years ago? Are you from Toronto? Yeah, just outside of Toronto in a little town. Well, not little anymore, but it's called Burlington. So just in the burbs of Toronto. Got it. And that's where you live now. Is that where you're raised and everything? Uh, We live, we just moved to the somewhat country, which is so peaceful. We just kind of felt that it was time to move to total serenity. So we live in a little kind of like horse country, but it's not far. Cool. Got it. Yeah. Cause like, how did you get to this place of ease and peace and you know, that you live in now, like where it came from somewhere. So yeah. Like, cause were you, cause your book, like, I think I get better with age. Like I'm like whining, (laughs) you know, like I think it's more that I've always been really, I've kind of always been a seeker. Like I'm always just, when I meet people that have this amazing vibe about them, I'm just so interested in what they do in their philosophy, in what they've learned. So I would say I'm more of a listener. And so along my path, that has definitely been a common theme. 
But I also am just so in search for my highest frequency for living from that place. So it's always an evolution. Like if I'm not evolving, I feel tension in my cells. And I think that mind-body connection, I'm sure most people listening are sort of on that wavelength. I can feel tension in my body instantly and it shows up as anxiousness for me. So when I'm out of alignment a little bit or I'm getting stale or I'm not evolving, like my cells quiver with anxiousness. And I think for me, that's why meditation is ultra important. So my path has really been like shedding untruth to keep it very simple. So I kind of started by trying to make my life work and look pretty on the outside and successful and in that path, I became addicted to ambition, addicted to success, addicted to carbs and sugar, addicted to work, addicted to email. Like, And what were you doing? Like what? Give us a, so how long ago was this? So I would say like I started to shift at about the age of 27, but before that, like even in elementary school and high school and my corporate career, it was very much about like having kind of the perfect package and doing things perfectly, get the perfect job, get the nice house, you know, like from pleasing others and fitting a mold that I thought was what I was supposed to do. So I had, you know, a corporate career. I was married in my early twenties. I had a nice house, uh, ran marathons, you know, like had a structured life. And it's funny because my ex just Facebooked me last night and he was in New York and he, he's, he was on the hunt looking for my book. And I was like, <laughs> That's so nice. Like, <laughs> and I mean, he would be a good person to say, but I think like I was still the same. It's just that I was more focused on what other people thought. So I was chasing, I don't even know what, but I think I was chasing the ideal of what I thought success was supposed to look like. So many people can relate to that, right? And it's like the looking good on the outside, but feeling that it's, you're so not on track for what destiny has in store for you. And for me, I feel that in my body like instantly. Hmm. So I felt it, but I didn't really know what to do about it because I was so worried about like, what are people going to think? What are, you know, our parents going to think? What is my boss going to think if I quit my job? Will I get another one? You know, all this fear was keeping me there, even though it felt off. Like it didn't, I find your body gets louder with time. Like in the beginning, it just felt like, oh, I don't feel that happy. You know, just like little subtle things or it would so, be like... Hold on, Leanne. One question I just want to ask about the body thing. Cause, yeah. So let's just say you're 27. When were you working in corporate? Like 25? Yeah, like okay. out of university to about 27. What were you doing? What was your corporate gig? So I was in various roles in sales and marketing for companies like Nike, L'Oreal, DuPont, Johnson & Johnson. Okay. So sales and marketing. Cool. And then you have one of these uncomfortable feelings like that's in your body, right? Mm -hmm. And you're like 25, 26 years old. Now, what yeah. does that... Like, let's just say they're saying you have to work the weekend. You know, I don't know if that's... Or can you give me an example of something that was like, this doesn't feel good? Well, it was more of a question of, is this it? <laughs> I kept popping Got it. Up. Okay. Like and at then, night, I would go to bed being like, this is my life until I retire. Like, you know, <laughs> there's nothing necessarily terrible going on. Right. And you, you wouldn't see a disaster happening. It was more of an emptiness and a, I had grief over it. Like, this oh, is it. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And then how does that, so what did you do with it then? So I did nothing, but what I did do is I escaped in work and I added more schooling and I did my MBA at night and then I would work out at midnight at a 24 hour gym and then I would run marathons on the weekend <laughs> and I was like a machine. Wow. And I disconnected emotionally from day to day life and I just functioned and I lost myself in work. So for me, work was kind of my outlet and it was my way of, I was busy being busy so that I didn't have to deal with my feelings. Yeah. And that continued for years until I cracked and I don't recommend this, but our mind I find, and I'm not a psychologist, but we do kind of wait for a crisis to happen and your body will eventually crack. And for me, it just like one day I just couldn't physically or emotionally fake anymore. And I just like, 
I quit my job. And this was in the span of like a couple of weeks. We went through, we decided to separate, my husband and I. I quit my job. I sold all my assets. I moved back in with my parents. And I had this clear nothing space, which was quite uncomfortable, but it was very freeing. And the crazy part was I felt so happy. <laughs> like wow. I, my, wow. people from an outside, it was like, poor girl, she's going through a breakdown. Right. But I felt so alive and amazing and happy and free. And I felt like it was this clear slate to now focus on building my life based on total truth for me. So that was kind of like around 27 and again, it was very challenging, but I feel the more difficult part is being in limbo for anybody who's listening, who's like, they're in that limbo space where they know they're in the wrong place or they need to make a change, but they're not quite ready. So they live in that limbo energy. For me, that's the part that is the most challenging. I have also experienced living in limbo like that with the constant low grade anxiety and panic. And it is awful. So yeah. I just want to say, I agree. <laughs> it's or, really you know, and, awful. And I talk, you know, like I admire, I've talked to couples who like, they know that they're going to be separating, but for responsibility reasons, maybe they have to live together for another year. Like that period of time, energetically, I have so much empathy because that feeling of living that way is very challenging to put on a smiley face and do your duties. Do you think there's a way Cause I mean, I'm just thinking about this and I mean, I've definitely been through this as well and there's not a way around it though, right? <laughs> like if you're making massive change in your life, like there's the old life and then the new life, which is coming and there has to be the there's gotta be the in between. Cause that's where like the real. Well, and I think that's where confidence is built. It's like yeah. all those scary choices I made is made me who I am today. Right. And I'm not afraid of much. I might have you know, fear come up, but I will face it. And I think the reason I have that ability to act anyway is because I've been there. I'm so not afraid to be on my own. You know, I'm very independent. I would never stay in a relationship because I was afraid of losing security. I'm very like integrity is totally like my core. So I know I'm going to be okay. And it's the reason why I always want to be in the driver's seat for my finances and I don't want to get lazy with my life. And it's because I think along the way, I've had these little forks in the road where the universe is like, okay, we're going to give you two choices. You can stay and be cozy, but feel a little bit void or you can see what you're capable of and go through and step into your greatest truth. And so I think it's more like as we become more observers of our life, instead of looking at things always literally, like see the pattern. And when you're tested, you know, you know, you're given sort of two choices or sometimes it's more, but, and I look at that more symbolic always and say, what's the lesson in it? Instead of just looking at it literally, like what's the decision I have to make right now? What's the bigger lesson? So were you raised with kind of these consciousness concepts and talking about energy and that kind of thing? Or is this something you learned later in life? And if so, how did you get on the path, like mm -hmm. kind of on the spiritual path that you seem to be on? Well, it's funny because no, I was never connected like to that part of me as a kid. I definitely know now that I'm ultra sensitive and intuitive. And I'm very sensitive to energy sometimes to a fault because I have difficulty protecting that. And I have difficulty managing energy sometimes. And I feel instantly the energy of other people. So I've always been like that, but I was never really in tune with it. And it's funny because one of my good friends, April, who may listen to this, she's really like, it was when I went through a separation, she just gave me the book, The Seed of the Soul. Mm -hmm. And that was really the first book. It's a good question. I can Google it. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. It's <laughs> like, it's a, it's obviously, it was the first book that I read that really was like, this is exactly what I've been feeling and going through. And it was like the first kind of more spiritual book that I read. And that's when things started to crack open. And it was like, there's no going back now. And then I became so curious about um, the spiritual path and consciousness and, I didn't use this type of language, but just like living from such a high vibe as often as possible. 
and being aware of when the vibe lowers and getting out of that low vibe as quickly as possible. And I've always been, my mantra has really always been like kindness. And like, I truly, I would say like, and I've even had like old bosses and I, I didn't notice this at the time, but they would write in my card when I quit, like never stop being kind. And I realized that people just think I'm nice and kind. Like, really? I never realized that. But I think that really is truly like, I always expect the best in people. And I've had to, you know, sometimes you get disappointed or you don't always get kindness back, but I do feel that at my core, that that's really my philosophy is just like kindness that I feel like sometimes there's a bit of a kindness crisis going on in the world. And I feel, especially women working together in particular and women leadership, there needs to be more of an infusion of kindness and removing the ego based competition. And I'm going to help you just at a certain level with an agenda. Right. Only and only I'm going to yeah. keep track so that then you can help yeah. me and, and I if can you don't help in the me favor. in return, yeah. then you're going to get some cold vibes from me. I've experienced that a lot and I just was never like that, so I was a little bit confused at first. And now I just realized that, you know, I try to practice living without agenda. It's not I mean we're all we all have egos, but <laughs> I really do, even with the book, like I wrote it from a place of this is for me and this has been my path for the past 15 years. And I hope that it helps people, but I didn't write it from a place of, well, I'm making a book to get recognition or I need to be famous or I need to get a six figure book deal. Like that really wasn't my intention behind writing it. Well, you can feel that when you read the book, because what I love that you do in this book is you are unapologetically calling people to be a higher version of themselves. Mm-hmm. And I love that you just are like, yeah, like in week one, you know, when you're talking about the beautiful money cleanse, it's like, yeah, literally go through every area of your life. Like I'm mm-hmm. talking closets, drawers, your car, your inbox, your to-do list. Like, And you're not like, oh, sorry, this is hard. You're just like, no, this is actually what it takes. It does. And I'm going to give you an example, like, and some people listening have already heard this, but I'm good with money. I'm not like perfect, but I'm good with money. And so was my husband. But over the last couple of years, like we had a cash flow outpour that was way beyond our emergency fund, way beyond what we expected. And like we survived it because we're really good at budgeting and we're really good with our money. However, we lost our souls in it. We felt like both of us have a core value of freedom and we were so not free because we, you know, we obviously had to make our spending low and we always felt stressed and not very many people would do this with four kids, but we were like, let's just sell everything and get freedom because for us, (laughs) this is what we did. We were homeless with four kids in June. Like how many people would, yeah. Where were you sleeping? So, well, I mean, we went on a trip. I freaking we love this idea. I know, this is awesome. And within 24 hours, we found a rental. Oh. And it was like, again, in a little suburb with houses that are really close together. Like, And we're both very much like we need space and freedom. But we were like, you know what? What's important to us is connection, health, and freedom. And we just need the summer to heal, to be with our family, to have zero stress, and to have zero financial responsibility. So we sold everything and like cars were going out. We sold our cars. They were going out the driveway and we sold our house and we sold, we gave away, we donated tons of stuff. We gave furniture to friends and like not many people would do that with four kids. And one of them being like a couple months old. (laughs) Wow. Right. But But by that time you've already had three. So now you're just a pro at it. So it's no problem. And this is what I'm (laughs) I'm saying. It's, but listen to what came into my life. Like, we were being tested because it's like, okay, you can hang on to the looking pretty and the nice house and, and you're going to get by financially. It's, it's okay, but your soul is going to be starving and you're going to feel your health is being affected right now. And your energy with your kids is being affected. And if that's really your core value, then it's not that difficult. Just create space. So when I say beautiful body cleanse, like I've done it several times, 
But I know when people say, well, I have babies. Well, so did I. I had four of them, you know? Right. I did it too. But it's because I know it's universal law that if you desire something greater and you have crap in your life that is weighing down your cells, then you're not being responsible. Because if you're prioritizing looking pretty over being happy and free, then you're not going to, you just, the ego is leading you in your life. Mm-hmm. So it was the most freeing thing we did. And within three weeks, we got our dream house, our two dream cars on our vision board. We got an influx of income and our life completely did a like 360 within a couple weeks. And it's because it came in fast because we cleared everything that was untrue. That is such a powerful story, Leanne. Wow. I love it so much. I mean, it's just, you are, you know, you're a girl after my own heart with like oh. the whole, you know. <laughs> but I know I, you guys would do it too. We I mean, would totally 100% do it. But I have to say, like, I did it when I was a single woman, not yeah. responsible for four other humans. So it's easy to be like, yeah, I would do that. But I think it's really bold and courageous that you did that. And I, Mike, do you have a, I want to ask her something else. So do you have a follow-up question on this or is it okay if I change directions? No, go ahead. Okay. Okay, so motherhood. Like, I met you, Leanne, and then literally, like, 30 seconds later, you had had three babies. (laughs) Like, I mean, it was so crazy how fast you dove into motherhood. Like, I think the fastest of anybody I've ever met. So can you talk to me about what that desire was and how that happened and, like, how it is that you ended up having three babies within three years? (laughs) I mean, I rarely talk about this stuff. I'm sure people would want me to talk more about it candidly, but I'm being like super open about my personal life here. This is how we roll. Like Rick and I are very much like we feel out our life. So we were complete. Like I had a stepdaughter when I met Rick. We were complete with or without kids. Hmm. But we said, if there is a soul that is picking us as parents, we are ready. Hmm. And then like we got pregnant in like a week. Wow. And then (laughs) when Rylan was about six months old, we said the same thing. We're like, we just had a feeling that a soul wanted to come through. And then we got pregnant instantly and three times we did that. And now we're even sort of in that spot, but now I'm 41, right? And I'm just like, where I'm working through right now is my belief that like, I don't think I'm too old to have kids, but there is a little, because I made this like, crazy goal that I would have my kids by 40. Right. But I'm, well, you had three, so that was really right. good. <laughs> so now I'm like, I kind of feel like maybe there's another soul, wow. but at the same time, what my ego is like, but you're 41. And nah, nah. so I'm not sure that, you know, we're open, but that's how we roll. We know we're really not in control yeah. and we try to feel universal energy with our big decisions in our life instead of feeling like we know anything. Oh, Leanne, you are like preaching to exactly who needs to hear that right now. (laughs) But but I did say we would be complete without them as well. Like I didn't try to mold my life in a way that I think I'm God. You know what I mean? Like you don't know anything. So we just roll with it. What we did do was we had extreme clarity that we were ready and we were very clear that family is extremely important to us. So like clarity is so important. But also you got to work with what the higher truth is for your life and not try to interfere. Right. Well, and what you're touching on here is that concept in your book about the four pillars, which, you know, a lot of people talk about it as values, but I kind of like the idea of four pillars because a sturdy structure stands on four things. There's like four walls and it's stability. I didn't even think of that. That's, I should have, that exactly. Well, Maybe it, that's why that came to me. It it's must true. have, because you are so deeply in touch and intuitive. And the number four in numerology is about stability and like, you know, and so to create stability in your life, having that idea of the four pillars, but you're talking really about how these concept of, like you said, what was it? Health, connection, and freedom were your biggest things. So that's right. why you got rid of everything. Mm-hmm. And that family was so key for you. And do you have any other examples or stories of how like knowing your pillars helped you get out of sticky situations or helped you make like a big decision? I mean, yes. obviously I'll the give you a clearing big one. out was big, but yeah, like I had a project that came my way that would have given me multiple six figures. Mm -hmm. 
And my ego was like, uh, yeah, like this is amazing. But there was an energetic something that wasn't in alignment with who I was. And for example, there was ego energy involved in some of the individuals. Yeah. So I knew it really wasn't me in terms of like, even the way the, the language of the project was rolling out and the contracts and everything, it was like, this is not me. So I could say yes for the money because that's odd. That would be amazing. But I felt, I looked at 10 years from now, I just know that I'm making a short-term decision, like an instant gratification decision. And it wasn't in alignment with who I was. So that project didn't get off the ground. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it might, the less conscious me maybe would have, you know, like a lot of people will say, well, for like $150,000, which I would get, like, let's just say yes to it. But I never make choices for the money. And that was the universe saying, are you sure? Hmm. We'll give you a little test. When you need it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's you know like I mean? easy like, to say, oh, I don't make decisions yeah. for the money when you have plenty of money sure. in the bank. And but in a moment when things are tight, like you're right, that's when the real test is. And that's like what I was saying. Like I get tested instantly. Like I remember saying that, like I do not make choices for money. And then I don't get tested when I have it. It's like when I'm tight cash flow wise, that's when the test comes in just to see if I'm really a person of integrity. Right. So that was another area where I just, I had to trust that this was a lesson and a test. And if I kind of made a choice that was in alignment with my truth, then something way bigger would be on the other side. But that's difficult to do, like to trust that it's going to be even better and amazing when you're in a bit of a dark night of the soul Mm. is not easy. No, it is not. (laughs) Because you want to cling on, like, that's why I love Pema Chodron so much. She's like, you want to kind of like cling on or like hook in because you feel so ungrounded and you don't know what to do. So you're trying to like grab onto the sides of the stream. And I have experienced that many times in my life. And that feeling of feeling ungrounded and like, I need to hook in or project on someone or stress out or fear. There's been so many instances, but that was a big one for me because it was when I needed the money and I still chose to not take the money. Hmm. And then what happened? Well, and then... I'm really fortunate to have, I would say, like a little angel pop into my life very short term. And he believed in me and he said, Leanne, like bigger things are coming. Mm -hmm. And like he just it was like I don't didn't even know him well, but he was a person of influence and very strong posture and high integrity. And it's just that one sentence. It's like I just trusted him. Yep. And so sometimes you look for little blessings that come in the form of just maybe someone flying into your life for a second, saying something you needed to hear, and then they disappear. I mean, I haven't really talked to him since, but I would say he was the gift because he just said what I needed to hear. And I use that energy. And then having a partner who is like off the charts, like I always say, Rick is so, he's so much more evolved than any other person that I've met. And he's so calm and what's the right word? Comfortable in his skin. Like he just... Mm. I mean, he was offered a record deal in his twenties, but he knew he what he just knew he would have no freedom at the time. Yeah. And he just trusted that something better was going to come along and he doesn't rush time. Like he trusts divine time so much that he doesn't try to manipulate it. So having him by my side through that was so helpful because he's very intuitive and he's like, this doesn't feel right either. And he's like, something better's coming. So that when you feel shaky ground to have somebody in your life who has no ego and no agenda to just believe in you, I have found to be the secret. Mm, I love that. I like that. Yeah. He sounds- we should find somebody. <laughs> is, is Rick available? He's definitely my little angel. And what's great is we both made a commitment when we met and when we were dating to not live small. We may get stuck living small short term, but we were going to go after our highest vision, whatever it took. 
And we both made that commitment. And then we support each other. Like when I have to travel, I mean, you guys are the same when I travel or I've got my book launching now, he plays more of the support role. And then in the spring, it will shift when he has his album coming out and I'll play more of the support role. And that's kind of, we do that dance. We really just want both each other to thrive. And we have such a harmonious energy together. And I think that's rare. Like I had never experienced that before. There's like no creepy agenda. There's no competition. It's just like harmony. Well, Leanne, I know you were married previously. And then I also knew you in a previous lifetime with a long-term <laughs> partner. And so I'm, and now you are really obviously happily married to an awesome guy. And so I wasn't planning on asking you about this, but I'm just curious, like what are some of your secrets for making lasting relationships work now that you're with someone where it really does work like what makes it work with rick obviously he's amazing so that's key and you're amazing so assuming that everyone in the relationship is amazing (laughs) and what are some of the other things i think knowing again this is where like i'm so into like archetypes and teacher like feeling out your like he is my teacher in this lifetime hands down sometimes i feel what i have to work on is guilt because i feel like sometimes i'm taking but I'm like, what are you learning from me? Cause I'm like, sometimes a frazzly hot mess. I'm a stress ball. Like I freak out a lot and, <laughs> and <laughs> I saw, I get excited about so many things. So I'll say yes to like 20 projects. And then the next day I'm like, okay, now I am the reality setting in and now I'm having a breakdown, bawling my eyes out. Cause I feel like I overcommitted. That's kind of how I roll. <laughs> he can handle that. So sometimes like he totally holds space for me and where our conversations are very much about like. He grounds me and I help him fly. Oh, wow. And so you need that. It's like we really follow the teachings of the Tao in a huge way. And we have conversations about it daily. And even this morning, like we were talking about really deep talk about like, these are some of my insecurities and these are some of the things that bother me about our relationship. And he told me sometimes I can be controlling and I know this, right? (laughs) But I will say that... I'm not one of those people who will deny. I'm like, no, I'm not. You know, I do that ping pong, which is a lot of times why relationships end. It's like, you really do have to decide if you want to be right or if you want to be happy, I believe. Yeah. And with us, like we really, it's not that we don't bicker sometimes, but we just have like a, almost like a sacred vow to each other that we honor each other's souls and divinity and the day to day, you know, bickering or frustrations, we let go of very quickly. That's beautiful. Maybe your next book will be called Beautiful Marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Kate's like over here as you're talking about this, like smiling at me. What are you smiling about? You guys have the same type of relationship. It sounds familiar. The me like over committing to a million things and then freaking out about it. And then you helping me get that organized and grounded and helping me sort through it. I was just, it was just. And I do feel when you're. Well, I mean, you're very creative and very, you have so much to share with the world and you are a teacher, you know, and a part of that is that getting that creative energy out is important. But, you know, for me, I struggled a little bit with moving into the motherhood role because I was still acting like the single girl and wanting to do just as much. Hmm. And still I try, sometimes I get caught in that, but then I'm like, but I don't want my kids to feel my disconnection. Yeah. So I would rather like, this is why it's so funny that we're on such the same wavelength. But I said like this year, it's all about community, connection, and simplicity. And I feel like this is really a universal truth that's going on. Like everybody's feeling the same, but no longer do I want to be on my phone texting while I'm talking to my child, you know, like I don't want to multitask anymore. Right. Well, it's not possible anyway. Yeah. As you discuss. (laughs) (laughs) So what, so I know we're going to wrap up pretty soon here because you want to go work out and we'll make sure we get that done. Um, we're, we're committed to I'm all about physical exercise. Yeah. I'm all about you working out. So a couple questions I have regarding like just being a mom and like what you and Rick are teaching your kids. So one thing I want to know about is like, what's the rules around or what are you teaching them about technology, phones and iPads, et cetera. And then the second thing because you wrote a book called Beautiful Money, what are you trying to teach them or show them about money? So those are the two things that came to mind. Yeah. So again, I will say that we flow and we listen to our intuition. So a couple of 
examples. The first one is you do have to prioritize like where we live. I went to a French school and I do believe languages is really important. It's up on the priority list. So our kids go to core French school, all French. My four-year-old is totally bilingual and we don't speak French at home but he has French teaching and he goes to my school. And there was a piece of me that was like, you know what? We should move him to a beautiful school two minutes from our house because the French school is about 40 minutes away. So we moved them all to the English school and I bawled my eyes out. Like it just felt wrong. There was something in my body that's like, that wasn't the right choice. So the next day we took them back to the French school. (laughs) (laughs) So they were in English school for less than 24 hours. And I felt... I was like, they're going to think I'm so nuts. Like the English school is going to think I'm nuts and I'm never going to be able to go back there. And the moms are going to think I'm nuts. And the French school is going to think I'm nuts too because they just spent all this time deregistering all my kids, which takes a lot of time. And now like, and I started to cry. I went back to the French school and I bawled in front of the principal. Like she doesn't even know me and I'm bawling my eyes out. And I said, I just like feel like I made a mistake. And she nodded her head and she's like, of course you made a mistake. Of course she loves French, right? She's like, of course you made a mistake, but we welcome with open hearts your kids back. And so we put them back and we drive them and pick them up every day. And it's not convenient as convenient, obviously. And we were concerned because there's such a deep community where we live. It's a very small town and we would be so ingrained in that community, which to me is also important. But what we decided was it feels right for now. And if in a year it doesn't feel right anymore, or we just feel like it's in their best interest to move to the school near our home, we will do that. So we are open and flexible at all times for guidance. So that's how we roll with technology. We don't really have a lot. We have one television. We didn't have cable until we realized no one would help us watch our kids overnight unless we had sports. So we got cable for the people for the babysitters. (laughs) We honestly got cable for the babysitters, but you know, like my one son loves watching movies on Netflix. Like he just loves the jungle book. He loves movies. So We honor that. But my other, my two-year-old doesn't care about technology. We don't have iPads for them. We're together when they're home. So we're not really a total techie family, but we do have Netflix. And we're all about the book Simplicity Parenting and the, the whole movement of like less is more, less toys is more, more time together is awesome. And you had another question about that, yeah, that I think I love the whole simplicity parenting that less is more. I love that concept. Like we get, there's like, to me, we don't have that many toys downstairs and I feel like. I feel like we have too many. Yeah, so do I. Like let's, let's go get down there and get rid of half of them tonight. Maybe we can talk when this is over about us moving. We can just, you know, when our lease is up, we'll just go someplace and sell everything and figure it out. Get a tiny out. house. Well, we are going to downsize after our current place right. and move into a two-bedroom while we build a house. But then we're talking about building a house. Maybe it's not the right time to do that. I don't know. Well, we almost built a house, honestly. Like, that was our decision, build or... But then we ended up finding one that had everything we would have built. Well, see, that's just easier. So <laughs> we did that. But again, we were, like, I we were open. Right. So I think that's part of it. Yeah, I think this is one last question that yeah, it was about. So I guess your kids about money, right? Because like, is it different than what you were the way you were taught about money that you're going to teach your kids about money? Well, the one thing that I mean, my stepdaughter's eleven, and she is really not attached to stuff. Like she's very heart centered and she's more about contribution. And like, she's already started to collect money for preserving land in the world and saving animals. Like she is such a big heart and philanthropist at heart. So I feel like for her, she's very much in the, she's such a giver. So for her, when it comes to money, she saves her money. Like she doesn't need stuff and she's not attached to spending it, which I think is such a gift. With my boys, my oldest is four. And what I'm focused on teaching them now is being grateful. And again, it doesn't have to be specifically to money, but just being grateful in general and saying thank you and making that a habit and talking to them about being grateful and valuing money and valuing what they have. But I also take them into the bank and they have a little old school bank book and I give them the money that, you know, the money that they got for birthdays and we go into the bank and we go old school. They give the teller their money and then they go and like run around the bank, (laughs) try to get into the vault and like take over. So it's a little bit insane, but then they get their little bank book back. And so I'm teaching them that transactional, like being in the leadership role for their money 
my two-year-old does it. So he may not really get stuff yet, but he's obsessed with counting money and he loves looking at money and touching it. And so that's kind of what we're doing right now. That's really beautiful. Cool. I like that. Yeah. I don't know if I've actually talked to... And then how does it work with you and Rick? Like, do you have... Because now I'm on this whole kick about talking to married couples about how they actually deal with... Like, how they deal with their well, finances. Well, like, actually, you have some great tips on that in yeah, the book. Yeah, in the book. But I want... For the listeners, maybe some people won't read the book, but definitely you should. No, everyone needs to read and, the book. <laughs> but just like, how do you... Do you guys have... Because we have a shared account. Like, everything is shared for Kate and I. So how does it work with you and Rick? Yeah, so we have individual and then we also have shared. And what sometimes when people ask me that, like sometimes women ask me, and I just say like, don't give your power away with money. Yeah, right. If you're both awesome at money management, then you can graduate to doing that combo deal, right? But if a spouse is doing it because they're afraid of their money, so they're letting the other partner kind of like do it joint and they can take care of it. That's where I feel like you're giving your power away. So with Rick and I, like we are both good with money. We can handle money. We still manage our own daily cash flow, but our greater vision and our like dream and wealth account is shared. Got it. Beautiful. Okay, cool. I like that. Really cool. Well, Leanne, this was such a pleasure. I'm like, I just, I got a lot of wisdom from our conversation today. So I'm grateful. Well, I love chatting with you guys and thank you so much. And thank you for reading the book and giving me your feedback. And And I didn't know that the time tracker for you was something the, that the you got. The time tracker was huge. I mean, just real quick, I, I'm so focused on making sure that you exercise because I know how important <laughs> that is for moms. But really quick for listeners, there's a beautiful money time tracker in the book. And I have, you know, I've tracked my time. I've seen concepts of this. But the way that Leanne identifies to track your activities and then actually go through and figure out which ones are connected to your values or your four pillars, which ones are income generating. And then there's a third thing. What was the third thing? I can't remember. Leanne, do you remember off the top of your head? Well, I think I think <laughs> it's just the things that are really trivial and right. not aligned. And then you basically have people break it down and there's a quick little, you know, quick little formula for figuring out what percentage of your time is spent on beneficial things that are either like for your health, for your well-being, for your goals or income generation. And then really looking at like what percentage is that and then what percentage is actually just like trivial stuff that doesn't matter. And, you know, Leanne, you contributed to the create space guide that I compiled for 2017 for how to create space for what matters most with 30 entrepreneurial and change making women. And this would be, this is such a great tool for creating space for what matters when you actually, first of all, identify what you are creating space for now and how you can switch that. (laughs) I love what you put together, by the way, and the women that you gathered I was like, Dr. Sheffy, I, that's how you pronounce her first name. Uh, Shafali. 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 I am obsessed with her. (laughs) I think she's pretty amazing as well. And thank you. Thank you again for contributing. And you can find out more about you, Leanne. Where would you like to send people? Well, you can go to beautifulmoney.com and read a little bit more about the energy behind the book. And there's a little book trailer there too. Oh, I haven't seen the book trailer. I don't think I have either. Let's go watch it. Okay. Beautifulmoney.com. Leanne, we love you. Please come visit us in Maine or we'll come up and visit you because I think a family vacation might be in order. I would love that. (laughs) Have a great day. You too. Thanks, guys. guys. Bye. Ever feel like you're constantly doing things but aren't able to carve out the time or energy for the things that really matter to you? Mike and I want to share our top five tools for making a life, not just a living. To learn what they are, go to katenorthrup.com forward slash tools. See you on the next episode.